Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in the book of John, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. a seat. Um, We didn't read the scripture today because I'm going to go through it. It's a lot of scripture. This is traditionally Palm Sunday, and as Katie was praying right there, it's a reminder that that Jesus is our king. The the problem I've always struggled with is that although we celebrate a day like this and and reminded of the kingship of Jesus, the culmination of his his glorification that happens on the cross, uh, we also know historically that it was just a few short days when those hosannas turned to crucify him. And for me, one of the things I struggle with is that it's, it's hard for me to reconcile such a huge crowd of people uh, crying hosanna, doing these things. I mean, hosanna literally translates save us, or hosanna on the highest is, is a call to the heavens to save us. They're even saying things like son of David, and Psalm 118 um, tells us of the rejoicing of the, of the Lord's triumphant entry and the triumph of him, a marvelous work of God's doing. And so they, they knew that this was a day of salvation. Even when they say to come in the name of anyone was to come in some sense representing him and to come in order to set forward his purposes. So the crowds proclaimed Jesus as God's representative, one who would set forward the divine purposes. But even though they looked to Jesus for salvation on that day and they addressed him as king, which is right, which is true, which is what we all believe today, we know that, that at least some of those crowd were in the room later, in the, in the court later, yelling, crucify him. We don't know, one, I'd love to say it was like two entirely different crowds and people weren't that flippant, but I know my own heart. And I know the proclivities with which I operate in, and I know the struggles that I have in following the Lord on a day-to-day basis. And so what we wanted to do today is we're going to look at, um, look at one individual in the life of Jesus as we're working through the Gospel of John and so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 21. Um, this is where we'll be looking um, through today. See, the people had the right idea. They even said the right things. The problem was is that they thought that their greatest need and pain was their, their Roman impression. And Jesus is saying, no, he's going to be crowned, but not for freedom from Rome, but from freedom from sin and death. And so Jesus had a, a bigger purpose, a bigger idea, a bigger, a bigger work to happen. And the, the people thought their, their felt need, their, their main need was just to be free from Rome. And see, many of us, we do the very same thing. We, we experience felt needs from Jesus that, that are big and, and in our own lives are, are troubling and, and maybe even we're, we're wrestling for a long time over But so often I think that we think that those struggles, those wrestlings, those issues are the primary thing. As if God is unaware of the entirety of our sanctification, the entirety of who we are and what we need and when we need it. As he promises to finish the work that he began in us. So they wanted to crown him for freedom from Rome. But he must be crowned for their freedom from sin and death. And the same is true in our lives. 
And John comes to, in chapter 21, comes to this section that most scholars would believe is an epilogue. It, there's some theories, it's, it's written way later, but there's not really any manuscripts where this isn't a part of it that we have. So it, it doesn't make sense to assume that it wasn't there. But it, it seems like th that John is, is coming to, to set some square things ahead, set some things in place because it's important for them to know. And so we'll pick up here in, um, actually, sorry, before we do that, I want to I stop before we do that. I got to remind us of where we've been. So before John chapter 21, see, we, we all have an issue. We, we miss what God is doing in our lives. And I think Peter has his Hosanna moment actually a little bit earlier in, in Jesus's life. If you go all the way back, we'll look at it in, in Matthew chapter 26. Uh, Jesus says this. He says, you will all fall away. He's speaking to his disciples because of me this night. For it is written, that's out of Zechariah 13, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before, to Ga before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they, all <laughs> though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Now, I picture Peter in this moment pointing at the other disciples. <laughs> though they may make this mistake, Jesus, I never will. They, they may do it, but, but come on. Come on, you know me, Jesus. Like, I walked on water with you. We had that moment, remember? Like, we're like, we're like, we're like this. And I picture Peter telling him, like, they may all fall away. Now, now, I don't know about you, but if you spend any time with people, like, you'll realize that you start to rub each other wrong. And I'm sure that, that Peter's brashness, Peter's posture, Peter's opportunity to always say these things, although was celebrated at times, maybe sometimes it would be instigated, like, hey, send Peter and he'll say something stupid, right? Like, or... But I'm sure at other times it rubbed the other disciples. And I feel like this is one of them. Although they may all be scattered, Jesus. Jesus. Although they may all fail, I, I, I never will fall away. And then Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter hears Jesus' statement as walked with Jesus for a long period of time and seen basically everything that Jesus said that would happen, happen. He's watched him do miraculous things and then Peter does what every single one of us that profess to follow Jesus, we argue with him, right? Peter's like, oh, oh okay, well, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. That's not gonna happen. And then all the other disciples, yeah, yeah me neither. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, we won't do this. And then a little bit further forward, and we, we looked at this in John chapter 18, but I'm going to look at it through Matthew 26 here, verses 69 through 75. Now, Peter was sitting outside the courtyard. Jesus is in his illegal trial. He's been experiencing already some beatings and some struggles. He's been arrested. Peter sneaks into the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he had went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. So, so one could say that Peter in this moment was believing that a, a little fib was worth telling so that he could stay close to Jesus. And we'd all be like, yeah, that was a pretty good lie. Like, I'm okay with that. Like, that, that's the acceptable lies, right, that we try to, to operate with him. But then he goes on. He says, then another person asked him and said, and she said to the bystander, this man was with, was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it, but this time with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you two are one of them, for your accent betrays you. And then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not 
no, man, now it's important. What we don't see is the curse and the oath. What is, Jesus, what is Peter saying? He's saying, if I'm lying, the penalty of this lie, the payment of this lie, the, the, the punishment of this lie will rest on my shoulders. And he does that with an oath. This is a big deal. This isn't like a pinky swear thing that we do today, right? Like this is a big deal. And then he began to invoke a curse and immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Guys, that's not ugly crying. Wept bitterly is like a soul-level sorrow. The Gospel of Luke tells us that in that moment that, that, that Jesus and Peter lock eyes right after he dies the third time. And it's important for us, I think, in, in our shame culture, and, and even as a father that tends to unfortunately shame my children more often than I should, I don't believe that Jesus is looking at him, shaming him in this moment. I believe that what causes Peter to, to weep bitterly is that he still sees a love from Jesus in that moment. So here's our, here's our Palm Sunday. I will never fail you. Hosanna! Crucify him. I do not know the man. I want nothing to do with him. See, and what's, what's crazy, and this is why I love that God in his, in his grace has gifted us Peter. Because every single one of us know what that feels like. In fact, some of you feel that this week. You wouldn't say with an oath, but you've experienced your own personal denial of Jesus in his grace. We all have our own denials of Jesus, whether spoken or practically lived. What's interesting, if you look at in, in the, the context of this, both Judas and, and Peter did astronomically horrible things. And the scriptures tell us that it's better that Judas, for the one that betrayed Jesus, it was better if he'd never been born. However, what, we, what do we see what happens with Judas? After he betrays Jesus, he goes back to the religious leaders and says, I did something wrong, what, I don't know what to do, and they're like, whatever, deal with it yourself. And he goes out and hangs himself. So Judas actually recognized his wrong and went to the religious system that should have been the place with which sinners could come to and experience grace and instead was told to do it and deal with it himself. Now, Peter, we don't get what happens here. We don't know what happens here. We know that he leaves. He's literally, the picture is him running away beyond ugly crying, weeping bitterly, soul sorrow, depraved soul. Like this is a, this is a sadness that doesn't just like, oh, I'm sad for a moment. This is a sadness that, that, that marks you, that, that cuts deep, that, that sets in you something that, that, is, that is hard to get around, that even the, the greatest of joys around you still don't seem to dull the pain of that sorrow. And we don't, we don't know what Peter does, but we do know that at some point he works his way back to the disciples. Now, we don't have any of the conversation in this, but if you've spent any time in a room full of people grieving, there's usually not logical conversation happening. And I, I, I bet there's some quarreling amongst these men. I bet they come back. Peter probably at some point tells his brothers what he did. Now, imagine that. <laughs> Oh, they will, but I never will. Like, here's a moment for vindication from these brothers, right? 
Peter, you said that. You did this. And he's like, yeah, well, you still did it. And John Mark's like, well, I ran away naked. It's in the scripture. You can read it later, okay? But so they're, they're all arguing about what happened because they're all full of grief because their king, their Messiah, the one whom they loved, that walked with all these years is gone. But Peter still did what I think so many in the church do today or don't do today is he went back to the family of God. In his grief, he didn't run, and he had every reason to. In fact, could you imagine the shame with which he had felt walking into that room to tell him what he had done? I invoked a curse through an oath on myself and said, I did not know Jesus. And he said those things to me. Well, a few short days, around 40-plus days later, Peter gets up in Acts 2 and says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified him and killed him. You killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And 3,000 people go, I want to follow Jesus and get baptized. What happened to Peter? What takes a man who can deny Jesus and feel a sorrow so deep inside of him to a spot where he can stand boldly in front of thousands and say, you did it. Now follow Jesus. And that's where I want to take us in today. John chapter 21 tells us, I think, what happens to Jesus in this time. So chapter 21, verses 1, um, starts right here. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, we just talked about him last week, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and just and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples had not known that it was Jesus. Okay, so what's, what's happening here? Many people want to talk about why do the disciples go at this moment to fish in, in, in these things. And so there's all kinds of conjecture. I'm just going to lay out a little bit of it. I think it's just what they knew. I really do. And, and maybe, maybe Peter is trying to figure out, like, well, I guess it's all over. At this point, they've already, they've already experienced Jesus' resurrection. They've already met him, and he told him to go to Galilee. He said, go there. I'll meet you there. And I, maybe they're impatient. Maybe they're bored. Or maybe they just realize, like, hey, we got to take care of family. And so this is how we make money. So let's, we're right here. Let's do this. I got a boat. Let's jump in it. Let's go fishing. And these seasoned fishermen get nothing all night long in this, in this about 100 yards off the, the coast is this moment where, where the sun's coming up, they're exhausted, they haven't eaten because they didn't catch anything, they spent all night fishing, they're ready to eat and probably get some rest. And an individual that they don't recognize, and we talked about Jesus' body not being recognized last week, I'll let you guys go back and listen to that. He, they don't recognize him, but he falls from the side and says, children, do you have any fish? Or basically, like, you haven't caught any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul, haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Now, this is interesting. 
if you've ever spent any time fishing, there's always someone on the side telling you what you should do, right? Usually it's the people you're with, right? Like, hey, you just need to go down a little bit further. You need to do this. But these seasoned fishermen spent all night not catching a single fish. And at this moment, a stranger from the shore says, hey, cast on this side. And they do it at a time that most likely wouldn't catch fish. They just do it. Now, what's funny is they've done this before with Jesus. Remember, the, the, the boats almost sank because of the, the haul of two boats of fish because they went on the other side? And, it, and of all the people, we think, it's, we think it's John here. He says this in verse 7. The, the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord! And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. Okay, now this is Peter, and I love Peter for this because this is true of Peter, right? Right now, picture it. They've got a net that's so heavy that they're trying to haul it in. And Peter goes, it's the Lord. Put on this nice hard thing to swim in, right? And let's jump in the water, right? He jumps in the water to swim. And I love it because this is, what's, this is great. It is the Lord. And then he goes on and says, um, he threw himself into the sea and starts swimming. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about 100, 100 yards off. So the picture is, is Jesus, or Peter is swimming as fast as he can in a, in a full tunic, which is probably not the best wear to do it in, right? And he's, he's ripping. And I picture the guys in the boat like, hey, Peter, you know, as they're swimming next to him, and they kind of show up to shore at the same time. What, what are you doing, Peter? Uh, maybe he thought he was going to walk on water again. Didn't work out that time, did it? And so they, they get out, and they, they kind of come to the spot, and it's like, Peter, can you, can you help with the fish? Like, you want, you want to help? And see, what, what, what makes Peter do this? See, here's, here's what I believe, and this is just my own conjecture. Peter is desperate, desperate for a conversation with Jesus because he's experienced the resurrected God, and Peter knows what he said. He knows what he invoked in himself, and really he just wants to know, am I still on the team do I, still, do I still count? Am I still part of this? Can I still be used for you? Maybe just put me on the bench, Jesus. I don't need to, I don't need to be the one that comes out in front. Just put me on the bench. But I think, Je- I think Peter is desperate for a conversation with Messiah. And so they come. And the net, the other disciples came to the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off, okay? When they got out of land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish already on it and bread. And Jesus says to them, Bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore. So, so, so Simon, who's out of the boat, soaking wet, jumps back in, grabs the net, and starts hauling it himself, like muscle man, like, I got this. Okay, so he goes this. And then, and then they have um, net shore full of large fish, and, and, and 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now, Jesus is, this is the scene. So there's a charcoal fire. And it's really important for us to understand something here. This word is only used one other place in the New Testament. Guess where this charcoal fire is? Where, where Peter denies Jesus. That's the only time that Greek word is used in the New Testament. It's in, in, in 18, chapter 18 and right here again in 21. And Jesus is cooking up some fish. He's already got some fish, but he's like, hey, bring some more. And they're large fish, and they're 153. Now, scholars have loved to try and figure out the math behind all this. I think this is just a fisherman's story. You know, every fish was this big, and there were 153. There might have been 153. Probably someone was like, dude, how many fish is it? That's nuts. Let's count them. And they were counting them out. This is great. This is awesome. And they're dividing them because they would obviously divide them. Who's going to sell them and, and how they make their money? And then they were bringing a few more because Jesus is already serving them. 
He's already prepared food for them. But he's like, hey, we're going to need some more. And so they get their 153 fish. He says, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Again, I think this is just John trying to show us that the resurrected Jesus looked just different enough, but they were certain it was him. He's given us an eyewitness of this account. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And the whole time they're sitting there eating, and I guarantee Peter's thinking, man, I just want to have a conversation with you. Man, if you, if you knew what I said, if you knew what I did, does he know what I said? Does he know what he did? The last look I got was that look of you in chains, Ropes, hands tied, beaten, being wrongfully accused. And and all I could do is say, I don't know you. Church, we feel this in our lives. We do this on a regular basis. Maybe not verbally, but very much so practically. And we need to hear, "Am am I still on the team? And Jesus comes to him, and they finish eating. He says, finish breaking, he says, hey, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Now, this section is beautiful and and profound. A couple things that I don't think it's doing. There's there's some play on the the Greek word phileo and agapeo here, but I don't don't think that's the point of this text. I really don't. Most scholars don't either. But, But he comes to Peter and he asks him, do you love me more than these? Now, the question is, what are these? Is he is he is he pointing to the disciples? Do you love me more than these disciples do? Or do you love me more than you love them? Or is he pointing to the fishing stuff? Do you love, do you love me more than this? Like, hey, you're, you're going back to what you knew before I called you out? Like, what is he, what is he pointing at? Again, if, if we remember, if we go back to, to Matthew 16, Peter said, they won't, but I will. I, or they will, but I won't. Again, I, I, like, Jesus is literally asking him, do you love me more than these? Now, what these, these things are, it doesn't know, I, we don't know, but Peter is aware, and he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Look, look, at, look at the language there. Peter doesn't defend himself by his own statement. He, he, he proclaims the goodness of God and says, you know. Jesus, you know that you love me. You know that I love you. And then Jesus says, well, then feed my lambs. Goes on and says, said to him the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, then tend my sheep. He said to them a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And that's what I think is happening right here. A couple really beautiful things. First off, we're seeing what Jesus is doing with Peter. Charcoal fire, three denials. simple as that. I think Jesus is taking Peter to his most painful spot. He's taking Peter to the conversation that Peter's desperately wanted to have since he knew Jesus was resurrected. And look what he does. He doesn't say, do you love me more than these? And he's like, well, you didn't show it. You didn't stand up. That rooster crowed. Three times you denied me. He doesn't do that. He tells him, feed my sheep. Tend to my lambs. These are, these are shepherding terms. He's commissioning him to to lead something. 
He's taking him to his most painful spot that he can remember at any moment. And he's saying, I know you did this, Peter. I'm aware of it. But I'm still going to commission you. And, and I want to just pause real quickly. I, I have to say this. Um, these two terms, this tend and, 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 and feed and my sheep and lambs, what's happening here is a, a shepherding term. It, it's meant to, the, the under shepherds or al- elders or pastors or, or, or kind of the leaders to, of the church that are operate with the body of Christ of the sheep or the lambs underneath this. I, I want to just real quickly um, acknowledge this personally. I, I want to ask for forgiveness in any way that I have fallen short of this role for you. Because I think, I think, I think it's important for us to understand that there's, a, there's an operator or a way that which under shepherds are supposed to operate and it is not to beat up or to minuscule or to, to minimize or to hurt. It's to, to care and to feed. And so I want to I personally ask, if I have not done this for you, if I have failed at this or when I have failed at this, please forgive me for that. I also want to ask forgiveness, if you'll let me, on behalf of the, the whole church. Because I'm certain in a room this, this size that all of you have been abused or hurt or painfully stricken by an under-shepherd that was meant to play this role. And so I just want to say, I'm, I'm sorry. For, forgive me, forgive us for the way with which we mess that up. Peter, in verse 15 here, is commissioned. He takes him to his most painful spot. Now hear this, church. This is so important for us. So often we run from pain and hurt. I I can't tell you how many times as I walk with people, even in this body, how quickly we try to squirm out and run from those painful spots when Jesus is trying to breathe life into that pain. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that Peter wouldn't have been able to stand up and boldly say what he did in Acts 2 if this conversation wasn't had with Jesus. Just like I believe for many of you, and in myself as well, if we aren't willing to, to remain under that, that, that spot, that pain, and let Jesus speak life into it and redeem that brokenness with which is in us, then we will operate out of that brokenness and not by the power of the Spirit. And some of you, you got, you got deep wounds. And you just keep running as fast as you can, hoping it'll go away. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. It's time for a charcoal fire. Sit down. Let me show you that I'm fully aware of it. That I know exactly what you did. And let me, let me breathe life into that and commission you for a purpose that is far greater than you could do carrying around this brokenness. And so he tells him, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter's last answer, I think, is where he finally breaks. Because it says he's grieved by the third time. And what does he say? He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't change his language. He doesn't say, well, I tried to do this or anything. What does he say? He, he rests on the sovereignty and the, the beauty of God. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know what I did. You know what I'm capable of. You know how I called on that, that, that curse upon myself. You know everything, Jesus. You know all the mistakes I've made. You know how much pain I felt over these last few weeks. And you know how badly I want to be with you. And so few of us are willing to say that to Jesus. 
So few of us are willing to come to and say, God, you, you know what I did. You know what I did even though I said I wouldn't do it again. You know how often I do it. You know the motivations of why I'm doing it. Even the good things that I'm doing, you know that I'm selfishly doing them. I need you. All you say is, I love you. You know, not only do you know everything that I've done, and you know how hard I've messed it up. You know how big I've messed it up. You know how, how pathetically I've shown it, but you also know that I do love you. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, well, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This is he, uh, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, now look at this. What did Peter do when he was left to his own fear? He ran. And what is Jesus' remark to Peter's confession of love? Hey, you're going to do it. In fact, you're going to be crucified, just like I was. Some, some early writings think that he, he wanted to be upside down because he didn't want to go the same way that Jesus didn't feel worthy to be crucified, the same way Jesus is. We don't know for sure, but we do know that, Je- that Peter was crucified. So what does Jesus do? He says, hey, next time you're around a charcoal fire, you're not going to fail. You're, you're not going to fall short, Peter. He doesn't say, here's all the great things you're going to do. He says, here's how you're going to die. <laughs> Why not tell him all the great things? Why not tell him, hey, just so you know, 3,000 brothers and sisters are going to be following next week or two weeks from now because of your faithfulness. No, he tells him because he knows that Peter will always doubt himself. When push comes to shove, will I run again? When push comes to shove, will I run from my Savior, my King? And Jesus says, no, no, you won't. You're you're going to hang on a cross just like I did. And then I love this. I love this. He he says to him what he said when he pulled him out of the fishing boat all those those years ago. Follow me. Look 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 at what Jesus does. Yeah, Peter, let me just remind you, I know exactly what you did. I know exactly what you did, but, but guess what? That, 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 that curse that you invoked on yourself, I paid for that on the cross. The, the punishment that you said you would take for the lie that you said, no, I took it for you. Now, tend to my sheep, feed my lambs, care for my people, and follow me. Just follow me. That's all you need to do. Just follow me. It's going to end. I, let me just tell you, it's going to end like this. I mean, imagine living a life knowing that you will be crucified. Every time an authority came around, you'd be like, ooh, is this it? Commissions him. He takes him to the pain. And see, the problem is with many of us is is we are afraid of the pain. Or we don't do what Peter does. We don't get the opportunity of Jesus sitting us around a charcoal fire and saying, I know everything. We, we, We half confess to Jesus. We're unwilling to say, hey, take me, go ahead and take me to that charcoal fire. Let me, let me sit right here in the middle of this pain. It hurts. I don't like it. But I believe that your goodness is greater than this pain. 
I believe that the life that comes out of this moment is far superior than the life I could live in spite of this. And this is why I think so many of us are so afraid of of counseling or dealing with the pain is because we are so scared of what it's going to feel like at that charcoal fire. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You don't understand. Just sit with me in that moment. I'm in control of this. I can take you to that deep, dark spot because when I take you there, you'll know that I'm aware of it and that my grace went there as well. If you don't go there, you're always going to question, does his grace cover it? Was his sacrifice enough? If we don't go there, we'll never feel that freedom. One scholar says it this way. He says, it's almost as though John is affirming the well-known concept that for a person to become right with God and gain a sense of release from the past sense of rebellion, that that person should face the reality of where the deviation or sin occurred. Like off-the-cuff replies of Hosanna don't suffice if you don't let him save you. <laughs> Why say save me and never let him go to a spot where he can save you from yourself? Why say, God, I want to experience your grace and your mercy and your love, but I'm just going to do it away from the cross because that's just too darn painful. What do you do when you do the thing that you swore you would never do? Do you, do you turn to a religious system? Or do you go to Jesus? You go, yeah, but, but Brent, I, I went to Jesus and I keep going to Jesus good his grace is sufficient that's that's more than enough but i said i wouldn't do it did you invoke a curse because i don't i don't feel like i've ever done that in any of my sins no i think a more modern day version is, is is bartering god if you do this i'll not do this if you forgive this i'll do this that's just a cheap form of grace god in spite of everything i've done you have lavished your grace on me So there is no denial or betrayal that I can't sit at a charcoal pit with. There is no sin that is is held over us. Church, hear this. Please hear this. Stop running life with with your mistakes and your failures and running from the very Jesus who says, I took those away on the cross. It is finished, not partially done, not mostly done, or well, it was done until you did it for that many times again. It's finished. And look, Peter needed that. And what I love about this, I love about this, is that it shows us that Jesus is willing to take each of us to the, to the charcoal fire. He's willing to meet you and say, hey, I, I know. I know what you did. And yes, it, it, it's grievous and it's dark and it's sad, but that's not who you are. Pray, praise God that he does not identify, about, identify us by our worst mistakes. How, how incredible is that he identifies us as child of God? Co-heir with Jesus, holy and righteous. Look at, look at what Peter writes later on in his life. He says this in 2 Peter 3, 17, 18. He says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, knowing everything about Jesus beforehand, take care that you aren't carried away. Do you think he had some like clout to say that? He knows exactly what it feels like to be carried away in the moment. Take care to not be carried away with the air of lawless people 
and lose your own stability, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, Peter failed. Peter failed horribly at this stage of his life. And in your own life, you fail. But neither Peter nor us are identified by our failures. Hear me on this, church. Refusing to go to the throne of grace makes you carry around the name of those failures. Think about that. By, by refusing to let God have his way in your marriage, in your life, with this addiction, with your finances, by refusing to go there, what you're saying is that child of God is not a good enough name. I need child of God carrying a bunch of garbage in my life. Because the cross just was not enough for me. That's what it's saying. And I get it, I get it right now. You're like, man, but if I go here, if I go here, if this gets out, guess what? It's already out. Peter's confession, Jesus, you know everything. It wasn't like, well, are you aware? He says, you know everything. You know absolutely everything about me. And yet here Jesus is breathing life into this brokenness and then turning around saying, Peter, I got work for you to do. I got work for you to do. Let's go. Let's go. We're going to do this, and we're going to do this. Let's, let's go. And oh, by the way, you're going to die and be crucified. Right after this in verse 23, or 21, um, 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following. So, so they were walking, and you know, John is most likely walking him, and this is the one that leaned back against the, the him during the supper. He had said, Lord, who, it is, who is it that is going to betray you? So giving us some context. And when Peter saw him, he said, Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So in this moment, it's, it's, it's understood that at this point, there had been this kind of idea that John would never die. Like this, this, like this, this, this rumor had made its way around, right? And, and some of it was based on this statement. But then he says right after this, so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. He said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? I love this because Peter in this moment, like, and one w- wants to think he's endearing, and he's like, oh, what about, what about Brother John here, right? I don't think that he's doing that. I think Peter's still doing what he's, he's good at, right? He's like, I'm going to be crucified, follow me. Okay, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, but what about him? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus is like, no, 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 Peter, you don't, don't take your eyes off. No, no, just follow me. Don't, don't worry about what I'm going to do in the life of John, your brother. Follow me. And see, guys, we get so distracted. And Jesus' call has been from the very beginning to the very end. Follow me. Follow me. And if that means you must follow him to the charcoal pit to experience a grace that is deeply necessary to help free you to live a life, commissioned and on purpose for him, then by all means, follow him there, guys. It's going to hurt. You're going to have to to take some of those things. I guarantee Peter took a little bit of a lashing from his disciples on what he said. You you said what, Peter? Are you kidding me? Like, Peter, like, I'm sure there was all kinds of fighting like that, but you know what happened? And this is what I love. What happened? They stayed together. They wrestled it out together. The disciples here did something profoundly beautiful for us to remember as a church. They stayed together and followed Jesus. They didn't run. They pressed in. Yeah, but it's hard. Yeah, I know. Press in. Yeah, but you got, like, 
you got this guy, this one guy, this one gal in the group. Well, do you have Peter in your group? Because, I mean, let's be honest, that must have stung for a long time. Pressed in. Peter's mistakes display an important message about the frailty of discipleship and the sovereignty of God. That God has a sustaining power that's, that's greater than our, our failures. Peter is a perfect example, like despite the fact that we may mess up over and over and over again, the sovereign power of Jesus by the Spirit, Holy Spirit in us is so much stronger and so much greater. Once you see Jesus face to face and realize I'm still at your table, I'm still in relationship, I still have a purpose, you can't help but want to run to him more. This is why it's so good to let God take you to those painful spots. It, it, hear me on this. It might cost you your marriage. It might cost you your profession. It might cost you your time with your kids. Whatever failures you have, whatever struggles, whatever sins you're wrestling with, Jesus' grace is bigger than all of that. Even if all of those things happen, it is better to be standing face-to-face -face with Jesus than faking it in hopes that you can somehow hold everything else together, which ultimately you won't. Let him take you to the charcoal fire. We're gonna get up and pass some communion so you can stay in your seats. If you're getting up, is gonna hold the gluten-free crackers for anyone that needs gluten-free. We're gonna take communion here in just a second together before the band comes up. One of the things I think is important for us to see is that it, 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 shouldn't, it shouldn't shock us that Jesus kind of stoops down to Peter's level to meet him where he's at. Because the, the entirety of Jesus was putting on flesh, stooping down to our level to meet us. Jesus commissions Peter by taking him back to his pain. The Lord's Supper is us being reminded of Jesus' pain for us to be commissioned. Uh, uh, Hebrews 4, 14 says this. It says, it says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now hear this. Please, church, hear this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is what we need, church. We need to draw near to the throne of grace. Even in the time of need that we want to so quickly run from the throne of grace. We need to draw near to the throne of grace. Communion is an opportunity, the Lord's Supper is an opportunity for us to fix our eyes on Jesus and be reminded. Maybe, maybe for a second here before you take communion, maybe, maybe picture this moment right now. This is your charcoal fire experience. And right now, church, those of you that profess to follow Jesus, you have some things that need to be spoken over and into by Jesus. You've had some sins, some failures, or, or maybe you've, you've already confessed, but you keep feeling like Jesus is holding this over you. Yeah, it just wasn't a good enough confession or you just didn't live the perfect enough life after this. Let this be a charcoal fire. Church, we should be the best at walking away from a charcoal fire and not feeling the weight of that sin anymore because our king has paid for every bit of it. The throne of grace is there for us in a time of need, so let's take advantage of it. Those of you that, that 
um, realize right now, like, yeah, I need a charcoal fire, then, then let Jesus take you there and, and repent. Can, the Lord's Supper, can, uh, as a follower of Jesus, we should always, our sins should drive us to Jesus, not away from him. He has, he has given us his grace through Jesus. It has been paid for. doesn't matter how many times you did it, how big it was, or how hard it was in the past. He has paid for it. So let this be your charcoal fire experience. Let this be the moment where Jesus breathes life in you and says, hey, yeah, 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 I know, I know. But I still got a work for you, and I, I forgive you of it entirely. How, how amazingly freeing. Think about how much weight you are carrying mentally right now by refusing to let Jesus actually take that which he has already said he's taken on the cross. Could you imagine a church free from our shortcomings, our failures? A church l- excited to be commissioned by Jesus and to work in spite of our failures and shortcomings? A church that recognizes that the cross was not a one-time thing in our life, but a daily thing? Guys, this is what the Lord's Supper does for us. So don't, don't take it in an unworthy manner. If you're, if you're refusing to, to confess to your sins, don't go through the motions, guys. It doesn't do you any good. If you are in, in direct sin and refusing to repent of it, you have lost sight of what the Lord's Supper is meant to be. It's to be reminded of the fact that our, our King, our God, our, our amazing Messiah, Jesus Christ, has paid for it. All of it. Not all of it before you came to faith, but all of it until you leave and meet with Him again. It has been paid for. So let us draw near to the throne of grace. Guys, the throne of grace. It doesn't say the throne of condemnation, the throne of shamefulness, the throne of grace. Draw near. Don't, don't stand back at a distance and be like, Jesus, we cool? Draw near. Draw near and say, Jesus, I can be as close as I want to you because of your blood that was paid, that was spilled on the cross for me. I can stand and claim myself holy and blameless and righteous based on nothing I've done other than knowing you as my Lord and Savior. And I can walk free of that because, because it is finished. That's what the Lord's Supper is. So we're going to take a moment here just in silence. And I'm going to give you guys a chance, bow your heads, get in your face if you need to, whatever you need to do. Tell the Lord, that you're willing to go to that charcoal pit. Let him speak his life. Let him tell you, Brent, I know what you did. I saw every bit of it. In fact, you brought it into the throne room of God because I have anchored you to the throne room of God. But don't you worry. I'm an advocate in me. I'm praying for you. Let him speak his truth to you, church. Let's stop carrying the weight that so easily entangles us. Let's fix our eyes on the author, the perfecter of our faith for the joy that's set before us. Let's not, let's not pretend anymore.
Heavenly Father, when it comes to our lives, we are either going to crown you or proclaim crucify you. Father, your, um, your grace has been lavished on us. Overflowing cup spilling out all over us. Father, there isn't a there isn't even a shadow of darkness in us that you aren't fully aware of. Yet you still love us. While we were dead in our trespasses, you came, Lord. You give life. You breathe life into us. And so, Father, I confess as, um, as one of your children that continually makes stupid mistakes, selfish things, Lord, I don't want to carry those. I don't want to be um, tricked into believing that that's how you see me. I don't want to cheapen your grace either, God. And so I come proclaiming, Lord, I, I need your grace. I didn't earn it. I can't make it come. I was given it by you through Jesus. And so as your church, God, I pray that we would be a church that don't cheapen grace by pretending like we can handle our problems ourselves or fix it ourselves like Judas thought he could fix it himself. But instead, God, would you find us drawing near to you, drawing near to your, your, your children, our family, our brothers and sisters. And may we be speaking grace upon grace upon grace over each other. And God, when we when we hear, hear your call, you're commissioning us to work, God, may we not take that flippantly either. And may we, may we dearly, Lord, may we not please try and do that on our own as well. Father, thank you for the reminder of Lord's Supper. As we fix our eyes on the cross, as we, we don't let ourselves be distracted, as we realize that you are not far away, Jesus, you are right near with us. As we partake of the bread and juice in faith, we are also by the power of the Holy Spirit being nourished by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so God, we pray, we pray nourish us in this way, Lord. By faith, we partake of the body and blood of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit who pours the life of Jesus into us. What a great charcoal fire experience lord to know that there is nothing in me that is too far gone from your grace to know that i still in spite of my mistakes in spite of my shortcomings still have a purpose for your glory to take part in your kingdom where you reign and you rule over every aspect god i pray that we would die to ourselves daily but we could also live for you daily. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night, the Lord took the body, said, this is my body. This is the bread. Broke it, said, this is my bread. This is my body, sorry. <laughs> Tongue twister. There's grace for that too, okay? By, by taking this, we're agreeing that what happened to Jesus needed to happen for us to be a new creation take. This is my body, which is broken for you.
right? That, that, that picked up a cup, called an audible and a Passover meal that had many traditions and many things in place and said, this cup, this cup is representing my blood that will be shed for you. It's a new covenant. Let it wash out over you so that you can walk out of the tomb with Jesus, a whole new being and new creation. This in, in remembrance of Jesus. Father, thank you again for the Lord's Supper. Thank you for the ways that you work in our lives. May we, um, may we be more focused on what you want us to do because we've seen just how much you have done for us, Lord. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer or would like to get prayed for, the prayer room is available. Otherwise, we're going to spend some time singing. If you would like to stand, you're welcome to do that. If you would like to be on your face in prayer, do that. Or if you want to go pray for someone else that's in the room, you're welcome to do that as well. Uh, we would just ask that you would, whatever, whatever is necessary for you to worship our King, um, whether that's singing, proclaiming, that's sitting in stillness, or it's praying, we ask that you do that for His glory. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him and that you may continue to